Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of Mastering Dungeons. I am Sean Merwin, here with my good friend, Teos Abadia. Teos. Sean, what's going on? Oh, you know what's going on. You know what's going on. There's a lot of D&D going on. There is a lot of D&D going on. So much D&D. I look to the left. I look to the right. You know what I see? D&D. Yes, that's right. There's <laughs> so much of it. Just D on one side and D on the other. Yeah, it's true in a lot of ways. Oh, man. Right I want to be. Yep. Ampersand mm -hmm. plushie. That's what my name. It's my handle. <laughs> <laughs> Where you should legally change your name to ampersand plushie. Oh God! Someone's got to have a kid where they name the middle name's got to be ampersand. I, I I tell you what, if my daughter wasn't uh, so old, I would probably do that right now. <laughs> yeah, can but I still? Unfortunately, force my kids she to is. Change name? Yeah, she is an adult now, so she uh, she might have a little bit to say about that. Yeah, that's fair. Cool. So, with all this D&D going on, we, of course, have D&D news. When we last left our Intrepid podcasters, there had just been a mysterious tweet showing a Ouija board saying something about Behold the Mists. Right. And now we know what that means. What does that mean, Teos? Spelljammer's Guide to Spelljamming. No, it's <laughs> Van Richten's Four. Guide to Ravenloft. Yes. So Watsi revealed that this upcoming book would be out on May 18th. That's not too far away. Not too far no. away. Sometimes we know six months ahead of time when a book is coming out. This is a month and a half or two and a half months. Not only will there be a regular cover, there will be an alternate cover exclusive to game stores. Um, you can pre-order now and on Amazon, it had already gotten up to number 40 in all books, not role-playing game books, not games, <laughs> all books, number 40 uh, for the pre-order. Somebody said it was like so, at 130 when it was like a placeholder or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, that just tells you what we've been reporting on for the last several episodes about yeah. the growth of the game and, and just how... Uh, how great it is. Uh, so with Candlekeep Mysteries coming out on the 16th of this month, uh, we're, we have two big meaty books uh, within the first four months, five months. So, you know, yeah, that's, that's big exciting start. for people that are, for people that are saying we need more, we need more. Here's your more. Yeah, and, and this is, you know, speaking of more, six months ago, Ray Winninger, the head of D&D, &D, had promised three classic campaign settings would return, and he tweeted last week, one down, two to go, mm -hmm. which I thought was so very one interesting. Down is, I, yeah, yeah, one down Ravenloft. is Ravenloft. And, you know, so Spelljammer and Spelljammer. Like, yeah, I mean, that's obvious, but, but some of them wondered, you know, maybe like this Dragonlance novel sort of in some back way counts as it, but apparently not. So, you know, two more that have yet to see. So, yeah, uh, I'm excited well, to see Birthright come back. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so let's talk for a minute about what's going to be in this uh, uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. It looks like it's going to be the expanded Domains of Dread Returning for 5th for, uh, edition, including rules and advice for building custom domains, the Dark Lords, establishing horror tropes for your own special blend of horror. So if you uh, 
were a gamer back in the day, you know that Ravenloft was its own setting, not just an adventure module, but a setting with several different flavors of bad guys. It wasn't just Strahd. Um, and it brought in several uh, NPCs from different worlds. Uh, there was a uh, Dragonlance. Uh, was right, it Lord, Lord Soth? Soth? Was that who? Yeah. yeah. He was one of the Dark Lords of his own domain. And they had uh, a few others from you know the realms, from Greyhawk, uh, Vecna, even of course. Dark Sun, kind of even with a mistake as part of it, <laughs> with Kaladne. <laughs> Kaladne. Yeah. So yeah, so that was that was a way that they could bring all their worlds together into one place. So it sounds like that's what they're doing here. So when people first heard it, if they weren't aware that there was this domains of dread and and this whole uh, campaign setting, not just the the small world of Barovia, they may have thought, why are we going back to this one little place in Barovia? But that's not the case. This is going to be a large. Uh, large setting with a lot of different avenues for gameplay and, and it's cool because what the what the domains allowed you to do uh back in the day was to have different expressions of horror um mm -hmm. and so it could be and if you think of all the different types of movies that are out there right you could have a, a world that was sort of like predominantly sort of animated things animated against their will your whole like you know chucky type thing uh, or you could have something that was about, you know, really hardcore into vampires, right? More so than Strahd, but, you know, vampires sort of waging a war on a land. And you, you could just, any of those expressions could be, could be had and still can be, especially with this advice they're giving on how to build your own, which is cool. Mm -hmm. If you're a player, there will be two new subclasses, the College of Spirits for Bards and the Undead Pact for Warlocks. Uh, both were uh, unearthed arcana articles already so you got a preview of them but they will be finalized uh in this product and then you have the lineages right which were also very recent unearthed arcana or shockingly recent to be like oh wow like that's that was going straight into a product <laughs> the damn fear the hex blood the reborn that that's interesting too and then how about this dark gifts thing that's kind of cool yeah it's what's horror without the characters becoming victims of their own flaws and their own personalities. So this dark gift um, aspect of it lets the characters sort of become one with the darkness of the setting. Uh, and it sounds like they're going to work a bit like dragon marks, except rather than being this magical tattoo, uh, it augments your characters and connects them to a domain that's mechanically beneficial while infusing them with maybe some flaws or a little bit of horror. Uh, I've been working a lot since I work for Ghostfire Gaming now in their Grim uh, Hollow setting, which is a horror setting. And they have something mm -hmm. called transformations, which kind of goes along this line of, if you get too close to the dark, the dark will start to, to transform you. So I, I really love that concept, yeah. Yeah, it's neat. And we and saw we'll these what, in, in uh, the Amber Temple in uh, Curse of Strahd mm -hmm. Adventure. Um, there, were, there were these uh, sleeping, uh, you know, horror creatures that were the sort of vestiges, they were called, and trapped in amber. And, uh, and they could give gifts, right? And so you'd get some benefit that you couldn't quite ascertain before you made the deal. And once you made the deal, you, you received both this benefit and this downside to it. So it'll be interesting to see how they take that concept and push it into a, a more 
you know, background type function. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Yeah. And it will also include uh, some new monsters and a brand new adventure. Yeah, and there's a whole host of designers that continue this path. We've seen uh, the last maybe even three releases that have been either announced or come out uh, that are a huge diversity and range of, of people. Uh, he, George was on uh, Twitter talking about how much this meant to him as being perhaps one of the first Indian designers uh, for the D&D game. Uh, Strix Beltran, Amanda Harmon, who recently joined the D&D team full time. Uh, Jessica Price, who's well known for having been at Paizo and speaking about it, about her experiences there, Banana Chan, John Stavropoulos, uh, Kay Tempest Bradford, Kira Magren, Jabari Weathers, Jessica Ross, Cassandra Kaw, Molly Ostertag, and Crystal Fraser. So uh, really wide variety from kind of all kinds of walks of life. Some of these have worked in RPGs, uh, it seems like forever. Some are very new, some have different, you know, come from different types of media. And, and it seems that as with, uh, we heard, we've heard recently on Candlekeep Mysteries, D&D team worked with those folks who are new to help them kind of master mm -hmm. what you need, you need to know to, to design for a product like this, which is awesome. Yeah, it, it, it is great. We'll see how well it all comes together because that's the trick, right? The, the trick is taking yeah. all these diverse voices uh, which are were, which are important, which make everything, uh, make the game better, make the story better, but then wrangling them down into a single product is a lot of work, and we but saw that that's... that work. Yeah, yeah, and I know you know what yeah, I'm no, saying. Say, yeah, yeah, and, and Rhyme had that uh, really awesome parts, but didn't always feed together, right? And that's been constant feedback, not just from us, but from others. Uh, same thing with Avernus and, and, and other works as well. But, you know, what I would say is that even when, you know, take Avernus, for example, you had a number of people there, including yourself, who are incredibly right. talented and experienced, and still at times it doesn't come together, right? Because if you don't tell your writers what they're all doing together, then they can't think about how the other piece works. And I've had that on projects too, where it wasn't sure. about my experience, it was about just not knowing what my piece fits into. Um, and... And so I think it really, this is on wizards, right? Like it's like, mm -hmm. you know, there's some responsibility they have, of course, to have the individual part be awesome, but maybe even the bigger part is how the whole of the product ties together. And that is fully and squarely right. on them to make sure yeah. it, you know, because even something that seems disparate, like a domain, you know, if I assign a domain to one person and another one to another, there can be overlap or, or they can be written in a way that they seem too disparate, right? right? Yeah. And, and you're, yeah. you're reading through, it's like, if you're reading a recipe book, recipe book, nothing's related. It just, it doesn't, you know, it's not pleasing. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it, and it is, it's hard to do. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of experience to do it because I've been on the wrong end of all sides of this. Right? I've been one of the contributors <laughs> that went, what? And I've also been the receiver of disparate works and seen the amount of work it takes to make it all, make it all fit together. So, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see, uh, what lessons were learned previously. We'll see how the work comes out, but I'm excited for it. I can tell you. Yeah, me too. This is very cool. Um, yeah. so speaking of D and D's growth, uh, yeah. this is some really, really huge news. 
uh, and I think you and I know it, having tracked this sort of thing for a long time, it's especially salient, especially salient to, to those that have really kind of watched the inside baseball aspect of, of how uh, companies work and D&D and Hasbro. So Hasbro has promoted Wizards of the Coast to become its third operating division. That's one of the three. Um, mm -hmm. There are three units now, consumer products for toys, things like Transformers action figures, classic board games like Monopoly. So one presumes that includes Avalon Hill. Entertainment, which is dedicated to licensing, distribution, and production of film and television content. And then Wizards and Digital, which is Wizards of the Coast, focusing on expanding the existing games, creating new ones, and overseeing digital licenses for the entire business. That right. is enormous. Like, yeah. This is kind of it, what it's... Wizards has always been chasing, right? Since the, since the right. purchase by Hasbro. Right. To... To put this into perspective, you know, when I started tra tracking this sort of thing 20 years ago, when Hasbro uh, executives would talk about the business, they would not mention Wizards of the Coast. Not in, they, they might put them as a line item in sort of the yearly report that would go to investors. And it, you know, it would just have a number next to Wizards of the Coast. Occasionally, if Magic the Gathering had a really big year or really big quarter, you would hear them say, oh, and our trading card uh, your game from Wizards of the Coast did this much business. But that would be the yeah. extent of any mention of Wizards of the Coast, never a mention of D&D. Occasionally, uh, Magic would get mentioned. Think about where we've come from there is... <laughs> absolutely mind-blowing uh, to make them a full division not only that but probably the biggest grossing uh division in terms of money that they made by yeah. a wide margin and and it seems like and there were there are a number of numbers uh, a number of numbers many different uh financial aspects were shared uh, on, on these recent calls uh, around quarterly earnings and one of the things that came out is that uh, D&D or Wizards was extremely lean in terms of the amount they spent on things like staff and, and you know, all the, all the costs mm -hmm. were really low compared to the profit. So it was, it, was, it was a very good spend of money, right? You invest a little bit in Wizards and you get a lot out of it versus making a toy, you might invest a lot and get a little out of it. So the return was really high. Um, and just some of these... Uh, amazing numbers here. Uh, 860 million in sales in 200 in, in, in 2020 for um, uh, for Wizards of the Coast. Magic the Gathering was up 23%. D&D was up 33%. D&D and Magic the Gathering each have over 40 million players, which is interesting that they're, you know, of similar numbers. Um, right. And based on a breakdown of various numbers, it looks like Wizards of the Coast actually makes more money than Hasbro's toy business. Now the toy business have been down with the pandemic, but it's still like, that's, mm -hmm. wow. <laughs> um, right. It wasn't yeah. even close 20 years ago, not even in the same order of magnitude. Uh, and now it's past toy board game sales. And ICV2 had a really amazing statement. The number for the Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming segment is over $120 million more 
than the operating profit for Hasbro's entire consumer product segment, which includes its massive toy business and all the rest of its games. So it's like Monopoly and all that. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, and th there was a phrase used that was something like about how uh, the, that the CEO said about, we hope that other Hasbro units will learn from Wizards of the Coast success. So, wow, you know, spotlight on Wizards uh, internally, right. and we'll see how that all does. Um, there are a number of things that are going to happen as a result of this, and, and some of them were very clear about, which is that um, Hasbro wants to have two to three movies every year, three to four streamed shows every year, starting around 2022, 2023. The D&D film was already announced. There have been some other things like um, uh, there's a Magic the Gathering film in works with Fox, uh, an animated Magic the Gathering show on Netflix, an animated My Little Pony film, Magic the Gathering crossover products with Lord of the Rings and Warhammer 40K. So there are these kinds of like media expansions that leverage the purchase it made of E1 uh, to launch movies and shows. And they paid $3.8 billion for that in 2019. So now they're really pivoting. And if you think about it, what this all means is, is the easiest thing is to think of Disney, right? Disney controls its movies and shows, has a highly lucrative streaming business that's going, growing like crazy, and then they can launch all these products, and then they can even license them out to everybody. Uh, Hasbro is trying to position itself in that kind of place, and the amazing thing is it's doing it around Wizards, you know, Magic yeah. the Gathering and D&D, &D, which is fantastic. Right, yeah, I mean, they have G.I. Joe, right? They, they have right. My Little Pony, they have those things, but, they are, like you said, uh, the, the pivot point on all of this is Wizards of the Coast with, with Magic <laughs> and with uh, and with D&D. So it will be really interesting. And, you know, hats off to Chris Cox, who is yeah. the president of, of uh, Wizards of the Coast, yeah. who came in and there have been many uh, presidents or leaders in that company who thought they had the magic ticket and... Uh, they all went by the wayside and here we are you know three or four years i think maybe maybe five after he took over and this is where they are so wow yeah and 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 it's amazing and some of it is secret sauce uh some of it is just getting lucky but but yeah no doubt and wizards has wanted this kind of growth uh always <laughs> right they, right. they built 3e trying to get this they built 4e trying to get this and if anything they maybe built 5e in in the with a, the least obvious push towards uh, receiving this right i think it was sort of like let's make some good money on t-shirts and licenses and maybe movie will carry us forward and yeah and somehow the least important thing is the t-shirt license and the most important right. thing is is how the game has permeated culture, which is what any fan probably would have said, sort of, but from a perspective, a, a, a lack of knowledge perspective, right? Would have said, well, it's just, it's just a right. great, you know what, this game's awesome. <laughs> and sort of somehow right. that's what actually worked. <laughs> well, it was. It, it was almost a step back, right, yeah. in game design. It was, we, we went too far with fourth edition. Uh, so let's just go back and try to recapture some of the, the fans of the original game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not going to go do anything crazy. We're not going to go uh, try to revolutionize gaming. We're just going to hear what the fans have to say and, and make this game. And, you know, you did say part of it is luck. And that is absolutely true. Part of it is luck. Part of it is being in the right place technology-wise on the internet at the right time. Mm -hmm. But what's even more important is what you do with the luck you have. Yeah.
Yeah. And and I think that's what they're trying to do right now is okay, we got lucky. Now let's see if we can ride this wave. Yeah. Even even uh, to even more uh, success. So, yeah. speaking of even more success, <laughs> fantasy. Well, we looked last week at roll twenty, and what they did with quarter three in terms of who played what games. Fantasy Grounds just released their numbers for Q- quarter four of two thousand twenty, and we're seeing more of the same. D and D five e is seventy one percent of all games played on Fantasy wow. Grounds. So seven out of 10 games, uh, 7% is Pathfinder original and 6% is Pathfinder 2E. So what we're looking at there is a difference in sort of the, the customer base of Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds. Obviously more people are playing Pathfinder and Pathfinder 2E uh, on Fantasy Grounds as a whole, uh, as a percentage. Uh, but still, D and D five E is is uh, way above and beyond everything. Yeah, and they didn't do quite the breakdown that the Roll Twenty or group did. Um, but we still see sort of this other category that's everything after those three games: uh, Savage mm-hmm. Worlds, Starfinder, D and D three point five, Call of Cthulhu, which was huge on Roll Twenty, is is smaller on Fantasy Grounds, interestingly, than D and D two E, and then it all gets into really really small percentages um after that but yeah it, it's another another sign right of, of D's strength um and 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 we always yeah i think every time i look at these i, I kind of have to say this makes me both happy and sad happy because it it shows the strength of D and that's wonderful it's my favorite game um but there are also all these wonderful games that do deserve attention and play and it's hard to get that right because those numbers are smaller yeah yeah, and we'll see if the, this theory of the rising tide raises all ships actually plays out once once we get shows and movies and, and people uh, who may not even know what role-playing games are may be drawn in uh, through those media and then if if it spreads out from there. Whew. So the uh, Adventures League and uh, Bald Man Games and... Herald's Guild, who run Winter Fantasy, have given their awards for, for the year, for 2020. Congratulations to Eric Mengi for getting the Lifetime Achievement Award for 2020. Awesome. Um, there, were, there were, yes, uh, sometimes I think that I work hard and I really care about <laughs> what I do in role-playing games. And then I see Eric yeah. and I realize that I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of an amateur at this <laughs> uh, in terms of the, the attention to detail yeah. and to the hard and work. And you, you say that amazing. as one of the Lifetime Achievement Awards uh, in the past. So that's quite the statement. Yeah. But it's, yeah, Eric, Eric is amazing. Eric, Eric is amazing. And for people who um, don't know, he has head, headed uh, all of the Moonshade Isles uh, releases um, uh, not since the very beginning, you were one of the people doing it in the very beginning, but, but fairly early on had his, uh, that work and has been releasing season after season and, and adventure after adventure, working with a whole host of, of authors that he coordinates. He, it's almost like Eric's a publishing house, right? I mean, in many ways he is yeah. working for Baldman right. games, creating all these adventures, commissioning the art, um, bringing mm-hmm. them to a huge level of quality and then getting them out onto the DMs guild. So it's a ton of work, and it makes a huge difference for many DMs, many players. So it is well deserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just in just over about three years, I think, Baldman Games, with um, you know, with Eric at the helm, 
has put out 20 trilogies of adventures plus some one-offs. Not 20 adventures, <laughs> 20 trilogies of adventures. So that, that tells you how much work Eric's been putting into it. Uh, so congratulations, Eric. Yeah. I mean, I can't even begin to think about what my life would look like if I had that task. I, yeah. I know that yeah. I would not have done 20 trilogies. <laughs> well, oh, I know what my life looked like when I was attempting to do that task, and it wasn't pretty. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's why I say yeah. uh, hats off. Eric. Uh, there were co-DMs of the year. So Baldman Games and the Herald's Guild look at all the feedback on every DM uh, based on player feedback after their games and they take the highest rated DM and uh, award them with DM of the year. And there were two this year. Uh, John Dwarven DM Christian and Laura Thompson were co-DMs of the year. So congratulations to both of you. There were two promotions to level 5 DMs. Uh, Mitch Smithson and Krishna Simonse. So uh, congratulations to you. And there were many DMs that were promoted uh, up to level four, which is sort of the highest you can get just as a DM. Yeah. Uh, level five, you start getting into the management of, of things. So, you know, just so many DMs have stepped up, especially in this year of the pandemic, to uh, not just make themselves available to run games online, but to learn how to run games online, which is a whole different skill set in many ways than just than DMing uh, at a table where all the players are present. So, uh, so much work has gone into that. Uh, all of the the DMs that work for Baldman Games, and even uh, DMs that DM for other conventions that aren't associated with Baldman Games have done a tremendous job yeah. to to make themselves the best dms they can be for their players in this situation yeah it's really great i looked over these names today and just the wonderful people there i'm like oh that's a great dm oh she's an amazing dm oh you know just on and on mm -hmm. like what a list of fantastic people being promoted um john dwarven dm has been amazing and sharing things and lifting people up laura thompson's incredible i had her as a dm uh when uh for, for the mo one of the most recent conventions, amazing times, just, yeah, all great people. Yep. And while we're talking about AL, we should talk about this pretty big announcement uh, if you're an AL player. So when, when uh, the Adventures League started, a rule was implemented. This rule was something that was handed down from Wizards of the Coast, and it said that the books that they are going to create are meant to be used individually with the player's handbook. So it was suggested that you not allow every book, every rule from, from every publication to be used in the same campaign because they were only balancing those rules, new rule books against the player's handbook, not against each other. So the Adventures League followed suit, uh, did what they were asked and implemented this plus one uh, player's handbook plus one rule. And it's, you know, like everything on the internet is controversial, <laughs> right? Some people said, thank you. I am tired of having to buy every rule book when I just want to run this Eberron campaign. And some people, of course, were outraged because they can't use every book that they buy in every campaign. And it went on yeah. as, as, as it does. But there was this new announcement. And I'll let you tell everyone the good slash bad news. Yeah, it's just the, the it's that there is no more plus one rule of using the player's handbook uh, 
but the, there's an asterisk, which depends on different programs, sort of when this comes into effect. But the basic thing is you can now use all of the sources that a campaign allows, and there's no more blanket plus one rule. That's a, a huge change. Uh, if you're an optimizer, you now can just go back to your character and start drooling because it's all available. And I mean, the very typical things that you would see in play is, you know, if you wanted to do green flame blade as a melee character, well, then the Sword Coast Adventures Guide had to be your source or Tasha's because it's reprinted. Um, but you could not then uh, choose a different source, right? It had to be player's handbook in that one source, and you couldn't use a subclass from, say, Xanathar's. So now it's all available. How it kicks in varies on what campaign you're playing. Um, and this was part of this announcement was actually a very clever marketing strategy. You know, how do you tell everybody that you have a brand new blog on the Yawning Portal website? You drop a we're stopping the plus one rule blog and everybody suddenly finds out about the Yawning Portal uh, blog site right. for Adventures League. Um, but on that blog post, they break down sort of um, how how this works. Um, so it depends on whether you're playing, if you're doing Moonshays, Red Wizards, Eberron, this is effective immediately. You can rebuild those characters, but do go and look at that uh, because it, it, it will tell you what sources are legal. Um, and because not all rule books are used for all campaigns. If you are playing the Icewind Dale storyline for Adventures League, that main part of, of Adventures League, it's called Plague of Agents, Ancients. If you're playing that, it does not change for this campaign. It will be there for the next storyline, whatever that may be. Um, mm -hmm. So take a look at that. The other thing they did is they, they on the main webpage, um, describe what the different types of campaigns are. So seasonal is like Icewind Dale. It represents that book that came, that's out now, the big main seasonal thrust. Um, when the season ends, all those adventures are placed into the historic category. Um, masters are primarily short campaigns, usually for higher level play, but not always. The current ones are a dream of the red wizards. And then it was announced that Baldman games will have a new moonshade season that will become masters or that will be masters that new season and game Holcon will also uh, take their border kingdoms region. And those will be masters. If you ever heard of mm -hmm. things like CCCs, uh, where uh, conventions could create adventures, all of that stuff and old moonshays and old Porter kingdoms, all those kinds of things, previous seasons, those are all now historic, which you can play with a character that, uh, has played those things before. But now the way it works is you basically, whatever campaign you start in, you're in that campaign. If you move out of it, you can't move back. So it's one of those, well, you can always play whatever you want. You just can't get rewards for it. Um, mm -hmm. So it's worth looking at the main D&D site. If, if that's unclear, uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter with any questions or directly to the Adventures League. And boy, if I bet one thing will change in the near future, Sean, it would be this whole system of having this many campaigns. I think at some point we'll right. see that get tweaked because it's a bit confusing. Yeah, it's hard to follow. It, it is. It, it is. And here's what happens when you get this far into a an edition of D&D and this far into a living you know, campaign sort of organization, it becomes harder and harder to have an on-ramp. So the, I think the reason they're doing this, one of the reasons they're doing this is if I'm a new player and I come to a game store or go to a convention, or even if it's an online convention or an online uh, game day, and I say, how do I do this? And I get handed these 
multiple sets of rules. Well, you you can only have one other book plus your player's handbook, but not here, but here, but there, but not. It becomes very hard to bring in new players. So they want the seasonal adventures to be the on-ramp, and they want to keep that sort of balanced. They don't want people bringing their horribly cheesy characters in because nothing drives a player away quicker uh, than A, not being able to understand what's going on, but then B, having a horrible time once they sit down at the table. And if you get the player that just mows through everything with his plus five reality slayer that he got from the hardcover book or from this other adventure, bringing it to this table. Oh yeah. I traded that from (laughs) my other character to this character, this first level character. Yeah. Um, So I just be, I win everything. Thanks for playing. I have, Um, and, and this may sound to some people like Sean's, you know, being uh, is exaggerating but it's i have sat at this table with two new players and an experienced player where the experienced player killed everything before the rest of the party could act act in every single combat including the final theoretically thrilling challenge literally soloed the entire thing as we tried to even contribute and it would and the play the other two players at the end of it were just like yeah we're never doing this again Right. So it really does I, uh, happen. I, it can happen if you don't. I, I am a I am a highly sarcastic person. That was not sarcasm. No, that true. was absolutely totally something that I you know over the years, over the twenty years that I've helped out with organized play, once a week I would hear someone with that complaint yeah. happening all around the world. So it's it's not. Uh, by any means, something that rarely happens. It's something that happens too often. And it happens less because of campaigns taking these kinds of steps, uh, somewhat also because culturally we've gotten better at how we all play together. Uh, But but a lot of it because you have to have these kinds of rules that prevent that kind of abuse. So Mm -hmm. the, the other flip side to this, Sean, that I see is it's really easy to be like, hey, I'm a casual player. I wanna go to my first convention. Ooh, I'm gonna play this, you know, Icewind Dale something or other. Cool. Uh, now I'm gonna play this, you know, uh, old Moonshay's adventure. Uh, I'm not gonna play this, you know, convention created content thing. Sounds like something made locally. Great. And then I'll play another Icewind Dale. And you go to sit to play your other Icewind Dale, and they say, well, actually, you can't get rewards from this one because you played those other two things. Right. And you'd go, what? Yeah. Why? This makes no sense. Yeah. Um, and so you always have to balance these controls with the, does this still feel like I'm playing D and D normally? And am I creating a weird experience that is exceedingly hard to understand by someone casual? And I, you know, there's some of that. Yeah. And and what's not even talked about in here is like the, uh, Eberron campaign, right? The Oracle of War campaign wasn't even mentioned here. That's a whole other thing, uh, that, that is layered on top of all this. So yeah. Running a organized play campaign, especially one that's been going on this long, is terribly difficult and you're weighing a lot of pluses versus a lot of minuses in a lot of different directions. So I, I it's only a matter of time. I'm just as just me mm-hmm. spouting off, not knowing anything where they just take a match and <laughs> and set this whole thing on fire and start over. I would have done it ages uh, ago. So yeah, I, I agree yeah, with you. Like I would yeah. just reboot the whole shebang and retire characters and get over yourselves. Yep. I mean, and I, I, that sounds unkind, but the reality is organizationally, one must sometimes nuke it and start over so that everybody's on a more level playing field. Um, and and I, I'm hats off to everybody for keeping it working relatively well for so long. And while there are always people who yeah. complain, 
you know, you've got any time you can find as it gets this long in, people who have been around will complain about it. But there's always yep. someone new who is playing and loving it. And I see that all the time at these virtual weekends. You know, they're, they're, it's as full yep. as ever. You know, despite mm -hmm. a pandemic, it's as popular as ever. Tons and tons of players and DMs, full tables. Uh, you can raise the prices and it doesn't matter. They fill up. So, you know, I'm, that's an impressive yeah. achievement for, for the organization. Yeah, and the last one that I DM'd at was a, you know, a couple of sessions or a couple of months ago, but most of the players I had were brand new players, um, yeah. which just goes to show how this is as important as it's ever been to get right now if this growth is going to continue and if there are going to be shows and movies and all those things we talked about. Yeah. You need that on-ramp for new players. Yeah. So it's good here's work. hoping. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of virtual weekends, <laughs> I beat you to it, Davis. Uh, we have confirmation on some upcoming dates, March 12th through the 14th. There will be uh, two of the adventures from Candlekeep Mysteries running as a special preview. Uh, tons of other adventures to play. You can go to the yawningportal.dnd.wizards.com. That's yawningportal.dnd.wizards.com to learn more about what is being run at this and future D&D Virtual Week. That is super cool that they're giving you uh, the ability to play through some of the Candlekeep mysteries early. Like That's, that's yeah. pretty sweet, uh, as well as all the other adventures that they usually offer at these events. We also have the dates for the upcoming ones, April 16th to 18th, May 7th to 9th, June 11th to 13th. Those dates are um, not yet updated on the Wizards of the Coast site, but they are on the Herald Guild site, and my understanding is from my sources, that uh, those are confirmed dates unlikely to change. But everything can always change, nice. but those are, the, those are the dates. Yeah, I'm tempted to, to go and play. I've been running on these for so long. I'm tempted to, to see how it goes from the player's side. Let's do it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so you think we're done with news? <laughs> nope. We, we're not done with news. Uh, Dragon Plus issue 36 came out with a lot of great content. And Teos is going to highlight his favorite things from that. Yeah, I'm going to just choose three. This is a, a solid issue. Um, more content than marketing this time around. Uh, first, or, or at least they disguise it. So one of them is they have an article by every single contributor to Candlekeep Mysteries talking about the adventure they contributed and the process behind it. Uh, briefly tells you what the premise of it is and how it came to be. Um, Chris Perkins is one of the authors, so he gets a piece and he talks about how he staffed this, which is through a tweet, which some folks may recall, where he said, hey, who do you recommend I work with, you know, for a future book? And he looked at everybody. <laughs> so this, this was, you know, forget the DMs Guild. He looked at this list of Twitter things where people said, you know, so-and-so is amazing. And he looked that all up, did some research and assigned writers based on that. Um, and he, his adventure was originally not going to be for publication, but then he ended up throwing it in. It was supposed to be more of an example for other, uh, contributors, but this is really cool. You know, we've had years, I think you and I had this conversation where you said there've been years when wizards of the coast would not do much to promote authors. And then there've been years that are like this, where it's great when, and you know, each person got a spotlight and as with the, what we mentioned earlier, this list can range from people who do podcasts, people who have never done role-playing games, but are in movies or novels. And one of the consistent things you hear, you read in these articles is the person saying how D&D worked with them to help them refine their ideas and make it great. 
Uh, and they talked about even uh, I talked to an experienced writer that was on this project and she said that she, you know, had several drafts she did to get it to where they really liked it. And she's someone who's written a ton of things. So um, really interesting to see that process. I highly recommend those um, that section of Dragon Plus. Um, another one, I there's so much here that's great. Um, you have usual maps uh, that you can get free, DMs Guild adventures that you can get for free there. But another one I would highlight is there's an interview with Chris Tulak, product manager for D&D Play. Uh, Sean and I know Chris really well, and people who've been around for a long time in organized play know Chris really well. He uh, talks about his long history of playing D&D, his love for the hobby, how he became involved in the Living Greyhawk pro program and rose through those ranks to be a big part of that campaign, eventually managing it and then managing fourth editions program and then designing the Adventurers League. <laughs> you know, talk about contributions. Mm -hmm. Uh, and right. then he moved to Magic the Gathering, worked in that organized play, uh, doing online events, convention events, things like that, and now has returned to D&D, helping to shepherd um, how the organized play program uh, is, how all of the convention play and online play and all that happens. Um, and it's just a wonderful interview. He, Chris is an, one of the amazing people in this hobby, super positive, one of the most positive people you'll meet, uh, joyously yeah. positive, I would say, right? And, and just great. <laughs> No one is more excited about gaming than Chris, yeah. uh, and it shows in everything he does. And you know, be, him working in both D and D uh, and Magic: The Gathering to create these uh, games, but also these experiences. So, if you remember Four E's D and D Encounters program, which was one of the biggest draws into game stores that I've ever witnessed, uh, aside from like Magic Game Night for Friday Night Magic, uh, just bringing even to these tiny stores around me in these rural areas, we'd still have four tables of players coming from an hour away to play for a couple hours once a week. Yeah. And, you know, that was his brainchild. So just just that he deserves a tip of the hat. But with everything else he's done and it was great to see him get a little recognition yeah. and a little bit of uh of a chance to explain you know his process and and his love for the game yeah it was wonderful um the last thing i would choose out of these many good articles is there is a new recurring article series starting up called character spotlight it's a pretty neat idea so adam lee one of the designers at wizards of the coast works with artist max dunbar and they combine their forces to depict cool npcs and and the end result is both story where you can read about them and then make sure to click on the actual link because you get a free download that includes the, both the story and the statistics for those NPCs. And so this one I think has a really cool dwarf that's riding like a boar, I think it is. Uh, and then there's another NPC as well, and, but really cool evocative and there's this awesome art. And so apparently this is gonna be a recurring feature where Max Dunbar and Adam Lee work together. So superb, really cool. It's the kind of thing that old Dungeon or Dragon magazines would have had and I, I dig it, good yeah. call. Nice. And last but not least, we will finish our news with WizKids announcing a new deal with Wizards of the Coast for D&D &D and Magic the Gathering minis and props. Now, wait a second. I thought there was an end to that deal. What, <laughs> what's going on? I don't follow this, Teo, so, so help me out. Well, actually, the WizKids deal has never been in jeopardy. Uh, we've wondered about Dragonlance and, and, uh, and Gale Force 9. But uh, what's interesting here is expansion oh. of the deal. Um, 
where you might think that maybe this whole Hasbro restructuring thing would result in like, and Hasbro is doing more, but no, that does not slow down the WizKids deal, partly because I think they've been so good. Wizards has, WizKids has been very smart of how they use that license. Uh, and I think it, it, they reach a lot of people that wouldn't otherwise be reached is my guess. And so it, it's a positive for Wizards. But yeah, so this season expansion of their deal to allow them to do all kinds of products, sprue miniatures. So this is, you know, if you remember like model planes or things like that, that come like where the pieces are still attached to the frame, um, premium unpainted high impact polystyrene unassembled miniatures on sprues, um, for D and D and magic, the gathering D and D action figures. Boy, if you thought that would have been in the Hasbro department, but here we go, uh, right. a, a line of paints for D and D. Uh, more artifacts and prop replicas, if you think of the Hand of Vecna that's now in stores, mm -hmm. uh, for both D&D and Magic the Gathering. So that'll be interesting to see what kind of you know, Magic the Gathering props they're going to have. Fans are going to go nuts about that. And then things that get into sort of the Gale Force 9 area, D&D battle mats, maps, bags, carrying cases. So this is a, you know, a stretch for WizKids, you know, sort of not just minis. So a very interesting deal to watch, and we'll see what kind of amazing things they put out there at their usual. Usually the prices are fairly premium, so we'll see how that how affordable these are. But it's it's going to be uh, tempting to all our wallets, I think. There you go. So that's the news. So we have finished talking about Icewind Dale, and what we're going to do, at least for the next couple of episodes, is focus fully our attention on Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, but we're going to split it up. We're going to talk first from the player side, continuing our look at subclasses, for example, but then we're going to switch over and we're going to look at the book and what it says to DMs. Uh, this week, we're probably not going to get to the DM side of things uh, because we, there was so much news, but we will cover the player side of things. And starting next week, um, we will try this dual uh, track of reviewing Tasha's from the player side and then from the DM side. Sound good, Tails? Sounds great. All right. So with that in mind, let's talk about the Paladin and the character options presented in Tasha's for that class. Um, the optional features for the Paladin are at second level gaining additional Paladin spells, um, three old ones plus two new ones. The fighting style options have been expanded to include Blessed Warrior, Blind Fighting, and Interception. Now, those last two, Blind Fighting and Interception, we already talked about when we talked about the fighter. Yeah, and they're, they're the exact what's same. Blessed, yeah. Yep, so what's Blessed Warrior? So this is you learn two cantrips of your choice from the Cleric spell list. They count as Paladin spells for you, and Charisma is your spellcasting ability. Whenever you gain a level in this class, you can replace it with a different cantrip from the same list, uh, from the cleric spell list. Um, so it's kind of a nice way to expand your 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 cleric side uh, and maybe dip into those for some power. Um, you know, again, you're you're this is a fighting style, so you're giving up one of your normal paladin fighting styles to get this, but it's you know it's a nice option to to have there. Mm -hmm. Sort of a little multi-class without multi-classing, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And of course, you could do cool. something like Acolyte background if you wanted even more, right? So there's some ways that you could, you know, dip into it further. Mm -hmm. At level three, you can harness divine power. Uh, it's the same as the optional cleric feature where you can expend a use of channel divinity to regain spell slots. And we talked about that with cleric. Um, so 
you're giving up something that's normally stronger, your channel divinity, to get a spell slot, which is normally weaker. And you can only get uh, you can only get a spell slot back half of your proficiency bonus. So you're only looking at like even at higher levels, only a third or fourth level slot. One of the things this lets you do is, uh, you know, we talk about this with the cleric is at the end of the, the when you're going to take a short rest, this is a time when you could burn your channel divinities to do various effects, mm -hmm. cast spells, heal, things like that. So it's one way that you can make benefit of it if you, if you saved it up, um, which will be a, a use of it, but also something you can do in combat. If you're, if your divine channel divinity is not coming up, you can, you can burn it for more spells. Mm-hmm. And at fourth level, you get martial diversity. I'm sorry, try that again. Martial versatility, where you can take one of your fighting styles and replace it with a different fighting style that's available to paladins. So, yeah, we talked about this before. Okay, I don't, I don't like giving up something that you've learned and you've used, and now it's like, well, I'm just going to forget how to be a duelist and become something else but yeah that's okay i don't have the, the only problem i really have with it is just that when you read this as an optional feature for every single class you're like maybe we just needed a global rule like does it really need to be right because i doubt if it, you get yeah. a fighting style at fourth level yeah. you can right i don't know or just remake your character at ability score levels right. you know with the consent of your dm you know drop a you know choose a feature that you can redo or something like that that would be a global rule for all classes mm -hmm. just rather than use up this space because i don't think that anybody's going to uh enable one of these option features like allow the paladin in the party to do it but not the fighter or not the cleric you know so just that's okay yeah yeah it's it's bizarre since we're going to talk about this it's bizarre because you know in most non-organized play settings right for your home games where you just show up if you, if you have a problem with your character i can can't imagine that most dms wouldn't say yeah just change that you know unless you were really trying to pull something put you know put one over right, on the right. on the group or on, on your dm so i question the need to uh make this a hard and fast rule but maybe my experiences are not uh, yeah. everyone else's experiences, so who knows? Uh, That's a good question. But, you know. <laughs> and there are also two paladin subclasses, which we will discuss. The first is the Oath of Glory, where you can find glory through deeds of heroism. And this first appeared in the Theros book. Yeah, so we, we reviewed this in Mystic Odyssey of Theros, but at a very high level, we didn't you know dig into the deep uh, of it. Um, I think the thing we noted back then is it sort of felt a bit like a 4e warlord where you boost and help allies and it has that sort of like, come on, everybody, let's do this kind of uh, aspect to it. Mm -hmm. uh, did you want to talk about the any of the various levels of it? Yeah, I mean, level three, you get um, some spells, uh, which is your typical thing, you know, additional spells that are added to your list. And these are pretty strong. I mean, you get Guiding Bolt, Magic Weapon, Haste, Freedom of Movement at the various levels. Uh, so these are these are nice. They, they certainly make for a more effective Paladin to have these abilities at, at these um, at these levels. Um, pretty strong. Also, Channel 3, you get your main Channel Divinity option. Um, you get two options here for Channel Divinity, and they both do a great job of, of working on the concept of this glory uh, paladin. 
peerless athlete, bonus action, use your channel divinity to augment your athleticism. And for 10 minutes, you have advantage on strength, athletics, and dexterity acrobatics checks. Push, drag, lift twice as much weight as usual. And you increase the distance of jumps by 10 feet. Um, that's all kind of cool, but it doesn't come up that often, which is why you get this second option for channel divinity, inspiring smite. And this one is, uh, this is, this is some pretty tasty right here. Immediately after you deal damage to a creature with your divine smite feature. I think those words right there wake anybody up because divine smites already right. like a, Ooh, that was cool. Yeah. And you're like, that's some, that's some powerful stuff right there. <laughs> and then when, when you know that you're getting more candy, you, what? So right <laughs> after you do that awesomeness, you can use your channel divinity as a bonus action and distribute temporary hit points to creatures of your choice within 30 feet of you, which can include you. Total number of eight temporary HPs is 2d8 plus your level in this class. And you divide that pool however you want. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It, depending on the group, it may slow play down a lot as you discuss the pluses or minuses of giving that extra one hit point to the barbarian <laughs> or to the ranger. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, that's, that's pretty, uh, it's pretty beefy. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm also excited for the first time some player tries to argue that when they did a crit that they can maximize or roll extra dice for the temporary hit points. Um, roll, roll two, <laughs> roll an extra two d eight. But that is not the case. Because, but, uh, no. but it's still really cool. Um, and uh, then level seven, you get aura of alacrity. You have an aura that radiates out from you. Um, and it fills everybody with supernatural speed, allowing them to race across the battlefield. Uh, battlefield. Your speed increases by 10 feet. If you aren't incapacitated, the walking speed of any ally who starts their turn within five feet of you increases by 10 feet until the end of that turn. Um, when you reach 18th level, it increases to 10 feet. So it's at first it's people right next to you, and later it has a little bit of a rage. I actually wish the range were a little bigger, um, mm -hmm. but it but it's neat. And this is this is an aura; it's always on. So I guess that's why it's you know a little bit smaller, but pretty cool that you can yeah. start together it, it's a great boost at the beginning of combat right because you all start together your initiative might be a little mm -hmm. lower and people race off away from you to get to where they need to go kind of cool nice yep uh what's what's at level 15 glorious defense um when you are another creature you can see within 10 feet of you is hit by an attack roll you can use your reaction and you get to give a bonus to the ac against that attack potentially causing it to miss it's your charisma modifier that's the bonus minimum of plus one and if it misses, that was already kind of cool, but if it misses, you get to make a weapon attack against the attacker as part of this reaction if they're within the range of your weapon. Uh, you can do that a number of times equal to your charisma modifier. So all of this is a reason to have your charisma all the way up, but you probably already yep. did that. Uh, you get everything back with a long rest. So that's kind of cool. Very neat. And what if you want to be a living legend, Teos? Well, you know, you want to start a podcast with Sean Merwin. Oh, that's right. Sorry, you meant with the Oath of Glory. Or become a level 20 paladin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can empower yourself with the legends, whether true or exaggerated, I like that wording, of your great deeds. Yep. You take a bonus action and you get a grab bag of tricks for one minute. You're blessed with an otherworldly presence, gaining advantage on all charisma checks. Once on each of your turns, you make a weapon attack and miss, you can cause that attack to hit. I mean, that right there is sweet. And if you fail a saving throw, you can use your reaction to re-roll it and must use the new roll. Once you use this bonus action, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest, but you can expend a fifth level spell slot to use it again, which is probably worth doing. Uh, it's not the most amazing yep. feature, but it certainly is fun. So, uh, you know, 
Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's a whole minute, so you can yep. probably cover a nice combat where you get to re-roll your, mm -hmm. your, your misses once per turn and all that. Cool. Yeah. For those of us who roll poorly, that's always a yes. good thing. The other oath for the Paladin is the Oath of the Watchers, where you are protecting the mortal realms from extra-planar creatures. Uh, level three, you get some oath spells, and these are along the lines you might think of for Watchers, like Alarm spell uh detect magic or of purity banishment would be one a big one to get rid of those extra planar creatures um, there are also two options for your channel divinity here watchers will and abjure the extra planar for watchers will as an action you can choose a number of creatures you can see within 30 feet of you equal to your charisma modifier for one minute you and the chosen creatures have advantage on intelligence wisdom and charisma saving throws so if you're dealing with all of those nasty fiends that that do things to your mind uh you you've got you you've got them yep. covered here for abjure the explorer as an action you present your holy symbol and each abjuration i'm sorry each aberration celestial elemental fey or fiend within 30 feet of you must make a saving th wisdom saving throw or be turned so it's just like turn undead except for all of those listed creatures Pretty strong. Yeah, it, yeah, if it, it's strong and it fits the uh, it fits the theme of the class. At level seven, you get aura of the sentinel. Uh, you emit an aura of alertness while you are not incapacitated. When you or any creature of your choice within ten feet of you roll initiative, you get uh, a bonus uh, equal to your proficiency bonus to your initiative. Oof. So that's yeah, it's at low levels plus. Well, by seventh level, you're. You're at plus two or plus three, so um, yeah. But higher levels, you'll you'll yeah, that's that's very good. And at 18th level, that range of the aura increases to 30 feet instead of 10 feet. So you're not starting off in fireball formation uh, <laughs> at 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 level 18. But you probably rolled before uh, before the uh, higher than the you know yeah. mage. So you're probably okay. But Mo most likely uh, at level 15, you get vigilant rebuke. Whenever you are a creature you can see within 30 feet of you succeeds on an intelligence, wisdom, or charisma saving throw, you can use your reaction to deal 2d8 plus charisma modifier force damage to the creature that forced the saving throw. So, yep, mm -hmm. doing damage to, to those kinds of extra planar monsters. And finally, at level 20, Mortal Bulwark. I am more the mortal bulwark, <laughs> whereas Teos is more the living legend. Oh, man. Uh, at least I feel that Not way. True. So as a bonus action, you gain the following benefits for one minute. You gain true sight to a range of 120 feet. Very handy. You have advantage on attack rolls against those aforementioned aberrations, celestials, elementals, fey, and fiends. And when you hit a creature with an attack roll and damage it, you can also force it to make a charisma saving throw against your spell DC. If it fails, it is banished back to its native plane if it's currently not on its native plane. Wait, what? Yeah, just boom, you're gone. Hmm. It's a banishment spell uh, whenever you hit a creature with an attack roll and deal damage. For one minute. Now, notice. Yeah, and notice. It doesn't say only once per round. So if you get multiple attacks... Say you get three or four attacks. You have a haste. I and mean, this is level 20, so you're making probably several attacks. Banish, 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 banish. Uh, banish all around. Again, level 20. I'm fine. I, all, all bets are off at level 20. Uh, 
they've been banishing creatures since what fifth level you know i almost said at the beginning of this how i hate banishment but i was like you know what just no whatever lots of people love banish but this is i'm just gonna say it i hate banishment um i know it's level 20 but there's the thing is that you the problem with this is that in D D, when you're building encounters you spend a lot of you know resources that you, you kind of have a budget you have to spend on building the encounter and when a thing gets banished which is usually going to be one of the awesome things in the encounter that's it throws the math out immediately to where it's almost a cakewalk um yeah because in both how it allows people to focus things and just what's remaining on the table would never have been a decent encounter anyway and so when you can do this multiple times in an encounter it's just it's it's good night um yeah. but okay there are things there are things in the game that narratively should be big deals mm -hmm. coming back from the dead uh wishes mm -hmm. banishing things that's something that you build up to and things like banishment things like this they just make it an everyday occurrence in an adventurer's life when it shouldn't be i agree yeah yeah and, and that that's the problem with it uh, just in terms of narrative and story but i agree with yeah. you completely in terms of you know an adventure designer just to have this great combination of monsters and all of a sudden one of them's gone it's, it's also interesting uh, here you know this thing um it doesn't say it has to be an aberration celestial elemental fiend fiend just says the creature if it's not on its native plane of existence so it's, right. it's sort of you know, there's some wiggle room there with the DM to sit and go like, okay, you know, this is an aberration, but is it on its native plane of existence? Maybe, maybe, maybe it now really truly lives here. Uh, same thing with right. a fey creature, you know, it didn't come from the fey wild, it lives here, so maybe it can't be managed. So this could, that's, I guess, your wiggle room as a, wiggle room as a DM is that you can, right. you know, apply this. Um, I, yeah, it's interesting. And and of course, if you go to another plane, then this power will probably be very useless. So Right. And unless unless you get the trick of, oh, my gosh, we're in trouble. I'm going to attack my friend uh, to send him back <laughs> send to him his back. plane. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. So that was us covering the paladin in one swell foop, foop. or one swell foop or one fell swoop depending on uh, how you prefer your spoonerisms. I'm still so, working on my middle name of Ampersand that I'm going to have to legally change. That's that's right. That's right. We're, uh, I, I can see you uh, filling out the online form to uh, Teos Ampersand Abadia. It, it just, it it's, sounds it's, great. It's really, it's really poetic almost. Yeah, who has, someone has a dog called Ampersand, I think. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. It, it rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so next week, after we go through the player stuff, we will then get into the DM side of things. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to end here. We hope you enjoyed the show. I know that we did. We had a rollicking good time. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> and uh, we're going to have a rollicking good time next week With as well. Rangers and Session Zeros. That's right. Uh, but not just plain old Session Zeros. We're going to talk about Session Zeros the way they should be talked about. Whatever that means. I'm just making stuff up now. <laughs> Speaking of making stuff up, thank you, all D&D &D fans, D&D &D players, D&D &D game masters, D&D &D watchers and doers. 
thank you for uh, spending some time with us. Uh, we really appreciate your your support for your, for our patrons. We appreciate you uh, giving a little bit of your hard-earned money to help us make this show. If you would like to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash MMP or just spread the gospel of Mastering Dungeons on the internet. That would help us immensely. Teos, where can people find you out there in the webs? On Twitter at AlphaStream. Uh, my blog, alphastream.org. The latest article is on creating an awesome campaign by thinking about what happens 10 to 100 years after you end the campaign and working backwards Ooh. to make that campaign awesome. Nice. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. You can follow the podcast Twitter at MasteringDND, or you can go to the forums and talk to us at forums.misdirectedmark.com. If you, if you become a patron, you can also talk to us directly on Slack, on the Misdirected Mark's Slack Room for Life. So, Mastering Dungeons is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Teos, whew, after all that news and all that paladinness, what are we going to do now? I'm going to hold a blade up to that monster and force it to increase its profits by 50% for next year. And then banish <laughs>